Paul, as he is writing here to this Philippian church, he's writing to a church that is struggling. They're hurting in many ways. They, they need encouragement to know that this world is not their home. They need encouragement to know that they ought to be steadfast to the confession that they've received from Paul, that they ought to take heart because God has overcome the world through Jesus Christ. And that concept of taking heart, that the concept of Jesus overcoming the world, that ought to speak volumes to us as well. Because oftentimes we are people in need of encouragement as well. Take heart, Jesus says, for I overcome the world. So Paul seeks to encourage the Philippians and encourage us in a variety of ways through this letter. Specifically today, Paul is going to look at this concept of suffering, encouraging us in the midst of our suffering. One thing is sure, they say death and taxes are always sure, suffering is a certainty as well, isn't it? No matter how long you live, at some point there is going to be an element in your life where you will suffer where you will struggle. Every single one of us will encounter circumstances that challenge our faith, that even break our hearts. And the problem is that most of us disconnect our suffering from the gospel. We don't see the correlation between the gospel that we hold so dearly and the suffering that we're experiencing in our life because for some reason we've got it in our minds that the only suffering that matters in relationship to the gospel is the kind of suffering that people are experiencing in the Middle East. And that's just not the case. All suffering can be gospel suffering. Whether it's the loss of a job, the spurn of rejection, the heartbreak that you have from a divorce, or the death of a child, all suffering relates to the gospel because it is the gospel alone that gives us the anchor of hope in the world. The certainty of death and disease and destruction is a direct result of the fall. And it's only through Christ that death and destruction and disease, all of that, it's only through Christ that all of it will eventually be wiped away. The brokenness that we have in our relationships because of our envy, because of our pride, because of our selfishness, all of it finds its root in the sin problem that we have in our hearts. And our world is filled with all kinds of pain. And our only hope in this world is Jesus. He alone is the one who restores everything. He alone is the one who's going to, as the, the English would say, make everything to right. He's going to correct the problem. He's going to pull everything back together. He's going to, as Paul says, reconcile the world in his own body. So since we all experience this suffering, variety of different ways, pain in our lives, we have to determine how is it that you're going to respond to it? Will you respond in frustration? Will you respond in apathy? Will you respond in anger, which then spills out of your mouth in complaints? Or will you instead focus on the hope 
that you have in the gospel and the assurance that you find in the love of God. Let's look back together at this text, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 down to verse 18. Through this passage that we're going to look at, Paul is going to tell us how we can advance the gospel through our suffering. And the way that we respond to our suffering, we can show that we are trusting in Jesus, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the people that want to tear us down, we can see the gospel advance through us if we're willing to trust in the Lord. So we can see the gospel advance through our suffering even when circumstances could be better. Even when circumstances could be better. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul has just finished this prayer of thanks for the Philippians, and now he's telling them what's going on with him. This is what's happening with me in Rome. Now maybe they had asked Epaphroditus to to send word about what was going on with Paul, what his circumstances were. What we, what we know is that they, they loved Paul dearly, and they really wanted to know what was happening with him, what was going on with him. They wanted to know so that they could pray for him, so that they could love him better. But this verse in our section, this first verse that we're looking at, has a lot of, it, a lot of stuff packed into it. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's saying that, that the things that he's going through are really helping to spread the gospel. Now, at first glance, we might say, okay, that makes sense, and then like just proceed with the rest of the, the passage. But we have to try and understand, what is it that Paul is actually saying here? What is it that the Philippians would have understood from what he says here in this short little verse? Well, the Philippians knew full well all of the things that Paul had undergone in order to reach Rome. Paul doesn't say that the gospel is making progress in spite of this adversity, does he? No, he doesn't say that. He says that the adversity itself has turned out for the advancement of the gospel. Listen to what has happened to him. Paul, he was arrested at the temple in Jerusalem after preaching the gospel, and the Jews almost killed him. Then he was hauled before the Sanhedrin, put on trial. Then he was put in prison for two years without trial. He stood before Festus and appealed to Caesar. And as a result, because he's a Roman citizen, now he's he's going to be taken to Rome. The ship that he's riding in to go to Rome sinks and he's shipwrecked on an island. Then he's bitten by a snake and nearly dies. And then finally he he reaches Rome. He's placed under house arrest in Rome. And there he waits for an indeterminate amount of time for Caesar to hear him. And he says, brothers, all of these things, 
have happened to me, including the beatings, the imprisonments, the terror of shipwreck, all of it have advanced the gospel. So even when adversity comes, and it will come, it should never be divorced from the gospel. Now, it would have been very easy for Paul to to look at those last couple of years and, and look at those years and say, you know what, I'm really sick of this. I'm frustrated with what's going on here. I mean, he hadn't planted any churches. That was his driving passion. He hadn't planted any churches during the time. Uh, He he could have become bitter against the Jews because they were so blinded by their own envy and sin. He he could have blamed all of the problems that he's experiencing by this bloated bureaucracy of the Roman Empire. He could have blamed the devil. But in chapter 2, Paul tells the Philippians, he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. But it's so easy to complain, isn't it? You don't have that problem. It's easy to complain. It's almost like it's like the second nature that we have. It's just, it pops out of us before we know it. We complain when we don't have enough work to do. And, and sometimes we complain when we have too much work to do. We complain when we don't have enough money. And sometimes we complain because we have too much money and the government's wanting to take more of it. We complain when we don't have anything in the refrigerator. And then we complain that there's so many choices out there for restaurants. How could you possibly make a decision? But we do this spiritually too, don't we? We complain that church just really isn't like it used to be. We complain that it's not as glamorous as other churches. We complain that the Bible is too difficult to read. We complain that we've heard it all before. We complain that the scripture memorization that we're asked to do is too difficult and that we don't have time to spend in the word every day. We complain that that sermons are too long. And sometimes, strangely enough, people complain that sermons are too short. We complain that preachers are too hyper. And some preachers are too boring. We complain that our lives feel empty and that we lack purpose. We we complain that God doesn't answer our prayers in the time frame that we wanted them answered. We complain about our hardships. We complain about our trials. We complain about our sufferings. But complaining is not healthy. Complaining blinds us from seeing that all things work according to God's plan. It distances us from our trust in the gospel. And it causes us to miss the point, doesn't it? Paul said, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He viewed everything in this way. Whether it was imprisonments or hurtful relationships, he viewed all of those things that were going on in his life through the lens of the gospel. Which looks like this for us. When we come into circumstances that are burdensome, when we come into circumstances that are frustrating, we must not let the complaints be the first thing that rise to the top in our minds. We must not let the negativity be the first thing that comes out of our mouth, because if we do, we're going to miss what God is doing through the suffering. If we're going to be Christ-centered Christians, which is the only real kind of Christian to be, we have to look at every circumstance and search for the way that God is exalting Christ and the gospel through our suffering. 
So if you lose your job and you find yourself at the unemployment agency, the gospel could be advanced through your Christ-centered presence in that agency and among those people. If you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, you would have many occasions to testify to your hope in the resurrection and the promises that you've received about eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ to those medical staff and to those doctors. Through every circumstance, Christ can be exalted and the gospel can be proclaimed. But Paul goes on to explain how this statement is true. The gospel had been advanced through Paul by means of his imprisonment. Look back at verse 13. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, this is the way that the gospel was being advanced through Paul's suffering. The gospel, he says, is now being proclaimed to to the praetorian guard, to the imperial guard. These were the elite soldiers that guarded the emperor. Paul's mention of all the rest may even include people that were involved in his trial preparations. The gospel is just not being preached to these rural families out in the middle of Podunkville in Anatolia. No. The gospel is being preached to Caesar's own household, to Caesar's own guards. And notice how Paul describes the imprisonment. He says, my imprisonment is for Christ. So even though Paul is in prison for really an unsustained, um, a, a, a situation that was lacking in substance, wasn't really that necessary, he viewed this imprisonment as a means of shaping him into the image of Jesus Christ. It was for Christ he was in prison. So do you feel sorry for yourself when you look at the difficulties that are going on in your life? Or do you look at these trials as a means of Christ's sanctifying work in you. You say, my sickness, oh, it's for Christ. My stress is for Christ. My loneliness is for Christ. My brokenness is for Christ. I'm not saying that necessarily makes it easier, but it does bring clarity about your perspective if we remember the gospel. Suffering is never easy, yet it is livable when we are anchored to Christ. Paul experienced dreadful times, but he was able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. He also says in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So for Paul, every circumstance was viewed through the gospel. It was the very anchor to his soul. Don't ignore the gospel because of your pain but rather allow the gospel to be the thing that heals you, that brings wholeness back into your life. 
We look at Paul here. He sees the advance of the gospel in Rome in two ways. First of all, that the gospel was being proclaimed to the imperial guard. Secondly, that the brothers in Rome were given greater confidence to preach the gospel without fear. So there's some specific lessons for here for us here as well. That the manner in which you endure difficulty or suffering affects the way that those around you perceive Christ and serve Christ. So the way that you respond to the heat in your life, to the suffering that you're experiencing, the way that you respond affects those who are watching you to see what kind of Jesus, what kind of Lord you serve, and what kind of gospel is it that you've given your life to. So if we whine and complain about our circumstances, those around us will conclude that we have a Savior that is really not that great. If we develop a a martyr complex, which says that every time that something doesn't go your way, then everybody's against me, nobody likes me, you complain, and you complain about your bad luck and the sad predicament all of the time, then Christ is dishonored. If we truly believe that God is good, if we truly believe that God loves us, we will seek to honor Him even in the times of hurt because we know that He has a plan for this. There is something at work in the suffering to bring us to the other side so that we are stronger, so that we are more equipped, so that we are more able then to reign with Christ in the kingdom that is to come. The way you endure suffering affects the way people look at Jesus. We can see the gospel advance through our suffering even when circumstances could be better, but also even when people could be nicer. Remember what Paul saying about the advance of the gospel in Rome. The gospel is being proclaimed to the Praetorian Guard. The gospel, or excuse me, the brothers in Rome We're given a greater confidence to preach the gospel without fear. But now look at verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and from rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So some of the Christians there didn't like Paul. Now, we don't really know why, whether it was because he was a new face and a new authority and and the people in, in Rome were not paying attention to the elders like they wanted them to, or whether it was because they they wanted to be apostles themselves and were not. Whatever it was, we don't know exactly. But we know this, that Paul is explaining to the Philippians that the gospel is of greatest importance and that they have to seek after unity through humility. In chapter 2, he tells them directly not to act like these preachers in Rome. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Notice the sovereign work of Christ here. Even with preachers who are preaching with improper motives, what happens? The gospel goes forth. The gospel is preached. The Word of God is powerful. It is effective, even in the hands of sinful preachers. Christ is able to speak and bring about new life. Now, this has to be of encouragement to us because there is no one 
in this room who always has the right motives for doing the right things. None of us. Especially when it comes to sharing our faith. Maybe we uh, have the motivation. We want to sound smart. And so we want to make sure that we use all of the right words when we're trying to share the gospel with our friends. Whatever it is. Our motives are distorted oftentimes. We sin. We mess up. But God's word, the truth of Christ, is not dependent upon how awesome you are. Isn't that an encouragement? not dependent on, on, on your, your vocabulary usage. It's not dependent upon your holiness. It's not dependent upon your attitude or your pizzazz as you try to explain it to somebody. It's not dependent on your abilities or your piety. God's Word stands on its own. Isaiah puts it this way. He says that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. He goes on, he says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. There's a word for that. God's word is effective. It accomplishes everything that he wants it to accomplish and never anything less. Friends, this is good news for us. Our confidence in the power of the gospel is based not on our own ability, but on the power of God himself. Paul says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So God's word is is powerful. It is active and able to convert the soul. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This is why Paul can say, whether in pretense, which is insincerity or hypocrisy, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And that I rejoice. So the word of God can advance through our suffering. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the people who are against us, and through all of it, we can proclaim Christ. Look what he says there in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. Verse 18, Paul comes to this conclusion about suffering whether through difficult circumstances or arrogant people, if Christ is preached, all of it is worth it. Why? Well, because the gospel is more valuable than anything else we've got. The gospel is more valuable than our possessions. It's more valuable than our time. It's more valuable than our energy. It's more valuable than all of our relationships. And Paul then gives a preview for what he's going to say in chapter 3. He says, I count Everything is lost. This is what he says in chapter 3. Everything is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ 
Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of everything and count it as rubbish, trash, so that I may gain Christ. The gospel of Jesus will be successful. Friends, are you neglecting the power of it in your life? The most important thing in our life should be the gospel, should be Christ. And it's through those times of suffering that it can be accented so beautifully. The Gettys, they have a song that's called When Trials Come. and It says this, When trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. To fire a faith worth more than gold, and there is faithfulness is, is told. So it goes on, it says, when I'm weary with the cost, I see the triumph of the cross. So in its shadow, I shall run till he completes the work begun. When we view our lives through the gospel, life, even though it is going to be filled with difficulty, pain, suffering, it's livable. When Christ is our foundation, we will never sink. So friends, the issue is not whether you will experience suffering in your life. You will experience suffering in your life. The question is, will the gospel be advanced through your response to the suffering in your life? Can you say this morning with Paul, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in sickness or in health, whether in financial ruin or prosperity, whether in death or life, whatever may come, if Christ is proclaimed, then I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, it is so very difficult oftentimes to rejoice in the midst of suffering. But I believe it's because oftentimes we forget the power and the wonder of the gospel. Father, help us as your people to respond appropriately, to respond in faith, to remember and remind ourselves of the gospel when we encounter suffering in our lives, whether it's circumstances or relationships. Remind us of what you have done so that we might advance your gospel even as we endure the suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name.